Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the Well Endowed podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check it out right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. So Scott's on vacation this week. Yeah, so we're attempting to record the episode at a more convenient time than we usually record it. <laughs> and it has gone not at all smoothly. Yeah, uh, we we generally record in an evening after our children are both in bed. And the last few weeks, months, that evening is the one evening where it takes forever to get our son down. And then our daughter, like, wakes up six times during the course of the evening. And it's only ever that night, I should add. Yeah, it's only that one night a week. All other nights, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good just that one night. There's nonstop interruptions, and it's just been a headache to try to record around. So this week we were like, well, I have the week off, and our son is out of the house part of the day. So why don't we try to record when our daughter goes down for her nap? Yeah. And then, of course, today has been nothing but boondoggle as well. So... We Yeah, because that's just the way it goes. Uh, we we desperately try to arrange to record our podcast at a convenient time, and somehow that turns out to be the most inconvenient time. Yet we press on. We do press on. And uh, so too does Tracker in his investigation, and uh, we have something of a meaty chapter to bite into. So let's kind of get into it with a, a brief recap of Chapter 14. Yes, very brief, because we have a lot to talk about here. In which we get three tales of the Ogo uh, and his very bloody history. And then Tracker gets back to the house to note that Leopard is gone, Fumeli is gone, Sogolon is gone, has a brief talk with Bunshi, and that leads us into Chapter 15 of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. So noon arrives uh, that day. Uh, the people of Congor retreat to their homes, a superstitious bunch who believe that noon is when all the demons come out. Yeah, so noon is the witching hour in Congor. Yeah. Which I thought was super interesting. Tracker doesn't buy that, though. So he sees this as an opportunity to head out when it's not going to be busy. Well, it's not that he doesn't buy it. It's that he does not care. <laughs> no. He even kind of thinks to himself, it would be nice to run into a demon because I'm kind of itching for a fight. He's just cranky. Yeah. He heads over to the Hall of Records. Uh, apparently, Congor, being a place of meticulous note-keeping, uh, does in fact have a grand library where uh, a great many things are stored. And mm. it is normal for the records of the great elders to be kept in the Hall of Records. So he figures this is an opportunity to go when it's not going to be busy and ask about Basu Fumanguru's notes, basically. Yeah. All of his records. Read up on the guy. Yeah. It's the Hall of Records. He's there to look at all of his records. He's greeted by an old coot that he instantly likes. Because he's... 
<laughs> I like to imagine that this is what Tracker would like to turn into one day. An old coot running a, li just, a musty library? Just a No, just a cranky old man who can't be bothered with anybody else. These foolish youngins. The library keeper is currently in a tizzy because he's discovered a map that has omitted Me Too, apparently. Just forgot about it? Yeah, and he's pretty upset about this. Tracker asks to see the records of the great elders. And uh, the man makes a comment about, like, I don't know that the elders are so great because I've got all this wisdom over here. And Tracker's <laughs> like, that sounds a lot like heresy. And he's like, it probably is, but who cares? Who cares? Because nobody comes to the library. Well, he says it's been seven months since anyone's come into the Great Hall. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> Giant library in town. No one seems to appreciate it. There's even a point where a magic book opens itself spectacularly nearby. And the man just tells it to shut up and go away. Yeah. Like, not now. <laughs> Busy. Uh, he gets directed to Basu Fumanguru's records and then makes himself scarce, notably and unusually scarce, because okay. it's brought up a couple times. So, I mean, we all knew that something was, was coming with that. Yeah. Can I just say, before he even left Tracker's side, I was expecting assassins. Oh, yeah. I spent this whole chapter expecting assassins. And we get uh, actually, like, faked out on that partway through the chapter, too. Right? Anyway, keep going. Tracker sets to work looking into... Basu's taxes and writings, he finds some interesting passages kind of mixed in with a lot of tedium. There's a few pages that are suggesting that Basu maybe expected he wasn't long for this world. Right. He makes note that Fumanguru ever, only ever speaks of his six sons, not seven. Six. He repeats that over and over again. Yeah. Six sons. Six sons, not seven. So the the seventh boy in the house, again, not Fumanguru's. Uh, he doesn't find any writs. Uh, he also notes that Fumanguru appears to have scrambled the order of his journals a little bit, as though to maybe conceal the timeline of his thoughts somewhat. Right? Everything's stacked in the wrong order. Yeah. Right? But it was clearly all put there with intent. Like, Tracker can suss that out, at least. He also finds a note that reads, A man will suffer misery to get the bottom of the truth, but he will not suffer boredom. And at first, he doesn't really understand what that might mean. Great. Tracker reads this and he's like, what? Yeah. Why? What? Uh, eventually, Tracker comes upon a family tree in the mess of papers as well, which sticks out to him because it's the lineage of the king from his great-grandfather, Quash Moki. Uh, and he traces the lineage down to the current King Quash, King Dara. Uh, the family tree seems to confirm as well that uh, King Quash is the eldest of three sons and a daughter, which we were curious about earlier, yeah. like where he was in that order. But now, now we know for sure. Yep. He was the oldest son. Yeah. He continues to plumb through just tedious notes and reports and writings. And it slowly dawns on him that he's getting really bored. And that's when he realizes what that earlier note meant. Right? Something clicks. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, this is deliberate. Because it's meant to throw off the trail of somebody who's not really committed. Yeah. This isn't miserable. It's boring. And it's intentionally boring. Because the real juicy stuff is buried in the tedium. And sure enough, down at the bottom of all of the boring stuff, Tracker finds a clue that leads him to a hidden nook in the library. Yes. Where, what does he find but the much sought after writ? Collection of writs. Things start out pretty simple, but then he finds the first thing that jumps out at him, which is a writ about basically emancipation. Yeah. Basu apparently was looking to end slavery in the kingdom. Not all at once, but like within a generation or so. Mm -hmm. 
Tracker's like, hmm, well, that would have bought him some enemies trying to end the slave trade, the lucrative slave trade. Enemies, maybe, but assassins? Yeah, but he's like, that doesn't that doesn't seem bad enough that the king would would have him killed. And his whole family. Yeah. But there's more. Uh, apparently, he also sought to ensure that the king couldn't retaliate against those who had lawful grievance against him. Freedom of speech. And that probably would have upset the king. That would have tiptoed up to maybe the line of treason. Maybe. But still not quite there. And again, he's like, yeah, the king might have been angry about that. But I don't think to the extent of summoning cursed demons to kill a man and his family. Like, that still doesn't track. Then he finally hits upon what he thinks is is the key bit that's being proposed here. And that's that Fumanguru was declaring the royal house corrupt and in need of returning to basically the pure line of succession, which essentially is treason at that point. Yes. And yeah, trackers like that could, that would probably get the king angry enough to murder the guy. Yep. And he also notes that the last notes in the writs and whatnot were added probably like the day before Basu was murdered by his estimation. Yeah. Was he basing it on the smell? Uh, well, yeah. And kind of like the timeline. He has a rough idea of what the, like the color coding and the right, dating right, right, yes. on the uh, on the books seems to indicate. So by his estimation, this stuff is three years old, but within a day or two of Basu being killed. Right. But he's a little frustrated because Basu doesn't seem to have left any indication of who this boy is. There's no mention of him anywhere in the notes. There's no indication that Basu, outside of, again, a few oblique references that he thought maybe he didn't have long for this world, there's nothing indicating that like he expected to die any day now. Stuff like that. Like, yeah. There's no like, oh, they're after me. Yeah, there's, kind of thing. there's some compelling clues here, but there's nothing indicating what happened yet. And Tracker can't quite piece it together. And he doesn't and he doesn't really have much time to think on it because just about the time that he notices the milk smell on some of the papers, which reminds him of a time that somebody sent him secret messages using essentially invisible ink, he gets interrupted. Yeah, Detective Mozzie shows up. Yeah, and this is our fake out. Yes. Because we're expecting assassins, and then a man shows up with a sword at his throat. Yeah, and we get Detective Mossy. And we get Detective Mossy. And things get a little Indiana Jonesy. Tracker asks Mossy, first of all, if he's alone, and Mossy is like, yep, yeah, I am. Are you yeah. asking if you have to kill one person or two? Yeah, totally alone. He is, as far as he knows. Well, as far as he knows. As far as we know, as far as he knows. We'll get there. Uh, the two do have a brief tense standoff, as you mentioned. Mossy indicates that he's actually intervened at this moment because he saw Tracker moving to hold the paper over some flame to reveal the invisible ink. He thought that Tracker was going to burn some evidence. Yeah, he thought he was burning evidence, but yeah. he's actually doing ye old lemon juice trick. Basically, except yeah. Except with milk. Mossy finally relents... When Tracker's like, dude, I'm just looking for secret messages. And sure enough, the papers reveal secret glyphs that Tracker unfortunately can't read, though he does recognize them as similar to the glyphs right. on the assassin. Fortunately, we have Mozzie. It's tricky. I'm not super fluent, but I can probably get an idea of what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he, he more or less susses it out. But before he goes on with that, he's like, so exactly what is your interest with Basu Fumanguru here? Because you've been snooping around his house. Now you're looking through his notes. What's going on? Tracker kind of twists that back on Mossy and is like, well, what's your interest in him? Because, I mean, I thought the man just died of the plague. There's this great bit at the end of their conversation where they have this sort of bickery wordplay 
as Tracker does with uh, with everybody. people with people that he's attracted to, especially uh, especially. Oh, we'll get there too. Where he he basically throws it back at Mossy. He's like, "Look, you're looking for someone you say doesn't exist for a case that's been closed for someone who died of the plague, which you have no interest in. Why are you here?" Yeah. And it's because Mossy can't help but pull at the thread. Right? Cause... That's the implication here. He he suspects something is up. He's not satisfied with the official story. And so he keeps pulling at the thread, even though at this point it's pretty clear that it's not in his best interest to do so. No. Because Mossy may be, and I'm going to say maybe, we'll get to this later on too, the one honest cop in Concord. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Because he's a good detective, right? And this is grating at him. He knows something's not right. An anachronistic detective, too. Uh, in this kind of time period, and I mean, it's pretty nebulous when this takes place, but medieval fantasy sort of setting. Like the city guard, the city watch, they aren't there to investigate crimes. They're just there to deter crimes. They're not, if somebody gets murdered, that person's dead. If they didn't catch the guy in the act of doing it, he's probably going to get away with it. Because yeah. they weren't investigators. Forensics weren't a thing. Investigations weren't a thing. It was just, we we prevent crime. We step in and try to stop crime as it's happening. But Once crime has happened, there's not much we can do. There's not much we can do. And it's not really our job to do it. So Mossy is a little anachronistic here in that he's legitimately curious about this this cold case. And he's kind of determined to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. Like Assuming him. he's on the up and up. Assuming. Assuming. We're we're going to give him that benefit of the doubt for a bit. Also, we should talk about how distractingly attractive he is. Oh, incredibly. As as I noted <laughs> out uh, in the previous chapter where we had the detective scene with him in the interrogation room, Tracker spends an awful lot of time focused on Mossy's physical attributes. Yes. And because in, he's distracted by the sexy. Right. And in this chapter, he spends an awful lot of time trying not to pay attention yeah. to those attractive attributes. Because, no, no, this is serious, serious detective work. Going now, is, now is not the time to smell this man. E exactly. Even though he smells very good. Mossy finally starts translating the glyphs for him. And um, it doesn't make much sense to him. Um what he manages to piece together is something about uh, the king replacing the voice of the gods, something about a god butcher and black wings and a killer of kings, and how a king is a king by a queen, not by a king. Yes. Which is going to come back later on. The master librarian, as previously mentioned, is suspiciously absent. Repeatedly absent. So Tracker, like, stops Mossy and has to go looking for uh, a longer family tree of the lineage of the kings of the land for himself. And he finds... A fairly comprehensive one, which is unsurprising because of the the kind of records that are kept in Congor. And it allows them to trace back the lineage of the king until they find a name that is clearly a woman's name. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, ho. And then sure enough, as they go back beyond that, it's more and more like women that are highlighted in the line of succession. Tracker recognizes that what Basu was essentially calling for here was a return to the kingship being passed along the female branch of the family. Because apparently six generations ago, that switched, and it started getting passed down through the male branch of the family. Mm -hmm. And that's what Fumanguru was saying needed to change. Yes. And that the kingdom would be cursed if it didn't. Right? Yeah. So it was, okay, so was it the king's, if you start at the top, mm -hmm. just to clarify it for me, because I was a little iffy on it. If you start at the top, is it the king's sister's son who would be the next king? Presumably, yes. Because it would pass down through the female lineage. Sorry, let me rephrase. 
or re-ask, is it the king's sister's son or the king's daughter's son? Uh, sorry, the king's daughter's son? Because it would pass down through the through the female line, right? Right. So the, the important parent would be the, the queen, not the king. We'd okay. be, it would be Princess Zelda's all the way down. Yeah, okay. There you go. Now I understand. Nita's on board now. I'm on board. Put it in terms, I understand. Mossy doesn't get it. Uh, he's like, I don't see why this would have resulted in a massacre at Basu Fumaguru's house because no one would have listened to this writ, basically. And even if people cared that the line of succession got switched to the other branch of the family, who cares? Like, the king's not going to care. The His supporters aren't going to care. Everyone would have... The people wouldn't have cared. Like, everyone would have just been like, man, so what? Yeah. And carried on with their lives. And Tracker kind of agrees with him, actually. He's like, yeah, you know, it's still not quite adding up for some reason. Like, he's caught a glimpse of the bigger picture, finally, but there's still a huge gaping hole in the middle of it. Yeah. There's still, like, at least one really big unanswered question. Yeah. So he tries to kind of talk things out with Mossy at this point and just kind of lays it all out for him, explaining kind of who all the in interested parties in Fumanguru's murder were, from the elders to the mysterious person who hired Ikoye. Uh, he does mention the assassin who came for him dressed in prefect blues, which I had noted when we got introduced to Detective Mossy and his crew in mm -hmm. the previous chapters, but had not brought up, but I had noted that the prefects were dressed similarly yep. to the assassin. Um, and how a force came out of him that was like black wings, a reference that we've now heard a couple times. Yeah, the the dusty, insecty bits. Yeah. He explains to Masi that he's been hired to find the missing boy. He knows that others are also after the missing boy, though at this moment he can't tell if they're kind of one step behind him or one step ahead of him. He'll kind of suss out uh, what that might be a bit later on in the chapter. Masi stops him and is like, okay, well, I have a theory of what's going on here. Basu Fumanguru got himself into some dark, dark trouble, got involved in some blood magic or some slavery or something, got in so deep that he ended up angering the wrong guy. Dude showed up, massacred the whole family. The only way that this blood debt gets paid off is if the whole family gets wiped out. So the, the boy in the wind is who they're looking for. And Tracker's like, that is a sound bit of reasoning. Yes. However, <laughs> no one knows about the boy. I know about the boy. You now know about the boy because I've just told you about the boy. But no one else knew about the boy. The boy was being kept secret. So it's impossible that... If some random lowlife wanted to kill Fumanguru and his family, that he would know about this mysterious seventh boy. Moreover, Tracker is beginning to suspect he knows who the boy is. Um, I also suspect. I mean, we've suspected who the boy is. <laughs> we for know a who the chapters. boy is. Yeah. yeah. Masi translates some more glyphs for Tracker. Uh, Take him to Mitu, to the guiding hand of the one-eyed one. Walk through Mweru and let it eat your trail. And Tracker's like, oh, well, Mweru is basically a trackless waste. Yes. Which no no one has ever managed to successfully map. So yeah, that would be a pretty good way to lose someone. Yeah, good good place to hide if it didn't kill you. Though he does say later on in the chapter that uh you might as well try to hide someone in hell. Like Well yeah. You're yeah, you're probably gonna lose them, but they're good they're as good as dead. <laughs> well, then they're good and lost, aren't they? It's true. Mossy straight up offers to help Tracker here. He's like, Look, you obviously need help. I'm I'm <laughs> on board. But you need to tell me exactly what we're dealing with. Who is this boy and who is after him? And Tracker takes a step back and is like, 
You know, as much as I've already told you, I don't know if I can trust you. Oh, he doesn't say it nearly as eloquently as you do, though. No, goodness, no. It comes across as flirt bickering. Yeah. He he says, look, like the people who hired me for this job are a slaver, a river spirit, and a witch. And between the three of them, I've gotten five different stories about what's going on. I don't believe any of them. And I don't believe any of them. And I'm not, if I can't trust the people who hired me for this job, I'm not certain who I can trust. And Mossy is kind of picking up what he's laying down and is like, you've been hired to save someone, but they don't want you to know who you're saving. Yeah, that is, and that is the most succinct way that it has been put to me this entire book. Yeah. Mossy, to his credit, perhaps, is still not entirely buying the story because it does sound very far-fetched. It's pointing to a vast conspiracy. This actually leads the two of them into a tense moment, which gets broken up when flaming arrows start to get shot into the Hall of Records. And then my heart broke a little bit because you don't shoot fire into a library. Unless you're explicitly trying to destroy a library. Right? Which, just... strong implication, is what's going on. <laughs> this is where it gets all Indiana Jones for me. It's very uh, Last crusade Kind of, yeah. The two are harried by archers as they flee from... The burning library. The burning library. Between the two of them, they actually do a pretty handy job at dispatching their assailants, too. Yes. Uh, All the while, Tracker pointing out that these guys are in Prefect Blue. And Mossy does ultimately confirm they are Prefects, though he points out two of them should be dead. They've been missing for months. I think one of them was missing for like a year. Yeah. So he's very surprised to see them. And Tracker's like, by the way, if you touch them, they will disintegrate. Yeah, don't touch them. (laughs) Um, And sure enough, the dark power that uh, erupted from the assassin who attacked Tracker at the brothel. Yeah, on the roof erupts from their bodies as well. And Mossy is just like, well, okay. Yeah, Tracker doesn't even need to see it. He can hear it happening. Yeah, and I mean, it it pretty much confirms Tracker's story for the most part. Just then, because, I mean, there's been a big commotion, there's been some murders, there's a, a raging inferno in the valuable Hall of Records, more prefects arrive on the scene and start trying to, like, take control of the situation and get a beat on what's going on. Mossy has a chat with their commander, a, a colleague of his, clearly. and Who then just, attacks him? Yeah, just when Mossy lets his guard down, uh, they attack them. And again, Tracker and Mossy successfully fend them off, because the, between the two of them, they're actually fairly skilled at combatants. Right? Also, Tracker has that fun enchantment yeah. against swords. Uh, he does clarify a little bit in this moment that, uh, well, no sword can harm him. If he had been attacked with a wooden sword, he'd have been dead. Oh, yeah. But who carries a wooden sword? Not many people, probably. Exactly. Mossy points out, like, these guys these guys weren't, like, zombies. They were talking to us. What's up with that? They weren't being possessed. And Tracker's like, well, clearly only some of the guardsmen are being possessed. The other ones are being paid. Yep. Corruption. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, they catch the master of the library and the crowd watching the Hall of Records burn down, and Mossy confronts him. And the man is just apoplectic. Well, his records are burning. I get it. He was he was not expecting this to happen when he went and ratted on Tracker, <laughs> which is what Tracker immediately susses out happened. He was given the same orders Ikoye was. If somebody comes by asking about Basu Fumanguru or pigeon. his notes, send a pigeon. And he just wasn't expecting that the people he sent the pigeon to would burn down the library. Had he known. Indeed. And this is where Tracker works out what's going on. Someone is both one step ahead and one step behind them. 
Yes. They were one step ahead in that they were in Congor and waiting for them to come, but they're one step behind because they don't know where the boy is, and they were waiting to see what their next move was going to be. Right. So uh, Tracker kind of exists in this weird bubble right now, where he's got people coming after him on all sides. Pretty much, yeah. Literally, very shortly, he has people coming at him from all sides. This part was super creepy. Yeah. They need to get some distance from the scene. They're they're still clearly in very real danger. They don't know who they can trust in that moment. They can't let more guardsmen show up on the scene because they're clearly all corrupt. So they deke into some alleys and try to make their way back to the safe house. And on the way, who should they encounter but AC in the flesh? Is it AC or AEC? I, I went with AC. In my head, I said AEC. Could be AEC. Our apologies if we're doing it wrong. Recognizing that there is a powerful sorcerer in front of them doing magics, mm-hmm. Tracker's like, we need to go that away. And they head off into a busy street to try to lose themselves in the crowd. But instead, AC just summons up dark power to possess the crowd to attack them. Right? So, like, women, men, children yep. are, like, getting all weird black in the eye. Right? And just sort of screaming and throwing themselves at him? Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's... Uh, Tracker even notes, like, some of these men who are coming after them are armed, but aren't even using their weapons. They're just, like, throwing themselves at them. Yeah, it was all flailing and biting and yelling. Trying to subdue them, really. The The implication is not that they were trying to kill the two of them. They were trying to capture the two of them. Yes. Like, by sheer mass of numbers. Yeah, it was, it was, they were doing it like a dog pile, right? Yeah, That's of, why they were throwing themselves on them. They were trying to hold them down. Yeah, and uh, slow them down. Because AC clearly wants them alive, because he wants the information they possess. Um, and that's also probably why AC doesn't just possess them. Because Mossy, rightly in that moment, is just like, well, why possess a whole crowd of people to come after us? Why not just possess us if you have that power? Right. And my guess is because, well, he needs you. <laughs> like, that's why. Because you're not asleep and he needs to get into your dreams. To their credit, Tracker and Mossy don't kill anybody in this moment. Which I was very excited about. Yeah, they... It made ex- me happy. They explicitly try... Like, they clearly have to defend themselves. They knock... Like, at one point, Tracker straight up knocks out a, a little boy. <laughs> I know. With a punch to the head. But they explicitly try not to kill any of these innocent people. Yeah, because they're just being possessed, right? And... Like, not corrupt cops. That's and, different. Yeah, and just when... Things are looking bleak, and they're getting just swarmed by this crowd. Who comes stampeding through to save them? The buffalo. Yay! I'm so excited. Uh, I love this buffalo. Yeah, and on horseback right behind them are Sogolon and the girl. Mossy has a moment of hesitation when Tracker's like, we need to get the heck out of here right now. But ultimately, he jumps on one of the horsebacks as well, and uh, the whole pack of them start racing out of town. Sogolon summons up a storm to, like, blow away the swarm of possessed townsfolk in front of them. Yeah, she she bothers to stop and start writing some runes. And Tracker's like, what are you doing? We don't have time. But she uh, conjures some magic. Yeah. Uh, Tracker also says, we need to go back for Sedoga. We are not leaving him behind. And Sogolon's just like, he's he's ahead of us. Don't She's worry like, about it. I got you. He's, he's already there. Don't worry. We will meet him at the place. Thank goodness. Uh, they head into Me Too, uh, cross the border, I assume. Well, they cross the river. Yeah. And Sogolon reveals that there is another one of these magic doors nearby. The 19 magic doors. Yes. Because they intend to put as much space between themselves and Congor, i.e. AC, as yes. possible. I would too, considering that the, the part of the city is on fire and the rest of it's being possessed. Yeah, there is some dark magic going on in Congor right now. Yeah, now's a good time to leave. Tracker confronts Sogolon here. 
Uh, and she says, you know, this isn't the place. And he's like, oh, ho, but it is the time. <laughs> now is the appropriate time. He says, so here's the deal. I found the writ. I know about the boy. And you need to come clean with me. And Sogolon is like, the king is just trying to cover up his tracks over Basu's murder. That's all that's going on here. And Tracker is <laughs> like, like. Okay, just everyone just stop lying to me yeah, for a minute. That's kind of where he's at. He does tell her Fumanguru meant to take the boy into Mweru. And she's like, that would make sense. No one would find him there. He says, I suspect I know who the boy is. And she's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you everything I know if you use your Sangoma power to open the door. Because that's the only way it can be done. And he's like, all right, fine. So he uses the spell to open the door, even though he can't see one. And turns around and is all smug and is like, see, nothing happened because there's no actual door here. Do you see a door anywhere? And then door. <laughs> and then realizes that they're actually miles away from where they were a moment ago. And she's got the smug look on her face. <laughs> And she's like, you know, for as powerful as this guy is, he sure is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out they've moved to Dolingo, uh, which is near the mountains. Much cooler up there. <laughs> Tracker notes the change in temperature pretty much instantly. Yep. As they get back on their horses and head up toward the mountains, Sogolon tells him, you need to stay awake as long as possible. Because that way, AC can't get into your head and spy on your dreams. Because we know this is happening from last chapter. Yes. And the chapter ends with Tracker saying, again, I know who the boy is. And Sogolon saying, well, then why don't you tell me? And that's where we end the chapter. End of chapter. But I mean, we know who the boy is. He's the rightful heir to the throne if you yeah. switch to the female line. Yeah. If you follow the, the uh, according to Basu, the correct <laughs> way to move lineage, Yeah, he's the rightful king. Yeah. And, but... king, and king Quash is not. No. Uh, which is why it would be a threat. And it's just easier for King Quash to kill the boy and wipe out that line completely. And then, well, there's no line to go back to. So I guess the, the corrupted line can stay on the throne. Yeah. <sighs> Except, as uh, Tracker and Mossy pointed out in the library, mm, nobody cares. Mm, the king might care. Especially considering Basu's words suggested that, like, the kingdom is cursed because of this. Well, yeah. And we know from previous chapters that when the gods decide that they're angry at someone and invoke curses on them, people tend to get a little antsy about that. So if the kingdom starts suffering misfortunes because the wrong king is on the throne and people find out that there's a right king just over there, they might rise up and get rid of the wrong king to make the curses go away. Fair enough. This is a land where people are willing to kill children because of perceived curses. I know. I this know. is this is a land where the elders were all put in jail for defying the king, and then he let them go when it started raining nonstop for weeks at a time. Okay, yes, fair. Why not go back six generations, figure out where it went askew, and follow that line, then? Well, that's presumably what Basu Fumanguru did to find the boy. Well, then what's all that comment about his sister doing something terrible? Yeah, that's the other option. Either he's a long lost heir from the female yep. side of the of the lineage. Yeah, but you have to go back six generations and follow the line correctly. Or he's King Quash's sister's son, which is also a possibility. Yes, it's one of those two. Yeah, and he's got the more. Uh, if you switch to the the female lineage being the uh, important lineage, he becomes the king and king quash can go sit and twist 
I don't know, one or the other. We we don't know exactly, but I think we can say with certainty at this point that the boy is the rightful heir to the throne. It's what we suspected for a couple yeah. chapters. I even wrote a note. I'm like, either way, we're right. Yeah. The king is threatened because his lineage is questionable. Uh, well, it's wrong. <laughs> Outright, according to Basu Fumanguru's well, research. Well, yeah, we know that now. The point is the king is threatened. Yeah. His position is threatened by the existence of this boy. Yeah, because we haven't been following Princess Zelda's. No, which we should. We we need to follow the Princess Zelda, so the kingdom is doomed. We need to always Zelda. So. The verb, to Zelda. Indeed. So that's where we're at. So yeah, a bit of a meaty chapter. Yeah, it was a good one. I It was it was a long chapter, but I still found it very easy to read because it was very interesting. Yeah, and... Uh, quite dense a lot of uh, a lot of important clues to finally get through because we f- we finally got information essentially from Basu Fumanguru. Yeah. Marlon James made boring library research interesting. But you've I mean, been calling it on being boring. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I mean it ultimately ends with the boring library burning to the ground. That makes me sad. But uh perhaps we will get a little more insight into who Tracker thinks the boy is when he has, hopefully, his discussion with Sogolon next chapter. That would be chapter 16, which you're going to want to read up on in time for next week. Yes. And in the meantime, here is an ad. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Overdue Finds, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about overdue fines head to epl.ca slash podcast normally i would have a smooth scott segue as nita calls <laughs> tm uh before going into an ad but uh on this particular occasion um the network is currently switching up their their ads going into the new year and at the time that we're recording this uh the ad spot that we have scheduled we haven't received the read for so uh we'll be adding that in later and uh, that's why I didn't have a segue for it. So we're talking about something that just happened, like it didn't happen, but it did happen. So, internet. Indeed. The future. Uh, outside of uh, checking out the sponsors for the Alberta Podcast Network, you can also support the network by checking out the website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. You'll get a uh, great sampling of a wide variety of podcasts on innumerable subjects. Ugh veritable swath of podcasts left and right yeah uh you'll definitely want to check those out once you find one or two that you like download them on your podcatcher of choice absolutely while you're there maybe stop by and give us a little uh little rating and a review that would help us out we'd appreciate it if you want to talk to us directly you can do so via social media yeah we have twitter instagram facebook and goodreads because we're bookish that way we are at the read along on most of those you can also reach out to us via email we are the read along at gmail.com and with that said as always we love you very much and we'll see you next time go team buffalo Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a 
proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.